You're listening to the Have Tap Shoes Will Travel Podcast. Hi, this is Matt the Shoe Guy from Dancing Fair, and you're listening to Have Tap Shoes Will Travel. noise everybody it's monday everybody to have tap shoes will travel this is the monday march 18th edition and we have a lot of different things to discuss today on today's episode let's see we've got the snow is melting outside finally last time we were talking i think we were in the middle of a polar vortex and now at this point the snow is melting it's a little icy outside but it's we're, we're making it happen it's we're working our way into spring and I am thankful for that. Let's see. Today's episode started off with a new song, which is actually an older song. But uh, my brother Andy and I recorded this album. And it was uh, it's put out there under the Oslin Brothers Presents Bucket Drummond Volume 1. And that was uh, New Jack Hennepin. That was the name of that track that you heard on the way. Uh, at the beginning of the show. And the the way we did the album is there are 10 different tracks, and each track has a beats per minute listed for it as well. So it's something that you could use to teach classes with, or you could use it to jam along with, or if you play an instrument, you could also play along with, with it as a, it kind of gives you your indicator of what your tempo is that you're rehearsing. Um, you could play a guitar along with it or whatever. So that one is available on Spotify and iTunes. And if you wanted an actual hard copy CD, you could always send me an email and I can tell you how you can get one of those as well. Water break already. All right, that's fine. It's okay. Like I said, there are 10 tracks on there and some of them swing, some of them don't, but there's kind of a variety of different beats that you can choose from and I think it's over 45 minutes of, of all drumming. So what we did is we went into the studio and the two of us set up with our bucket sets and kind of kept it minimal, kind of thought of the the bass drum and the snare drum of the song, kind of like the heartbeat of the song. And we used a a click track to record that part. And we recorded the the main foundation of the beat. And then after that was done, we went back over it and put other layers on there. And Andy and I would trade off. One of us would hit record. The other one would start 
playing their layer. So, you know, for instance, there were tambourine layers put in there and cowbell layers and cymbals. And there, a, a few of the songs have other sorts of items in there too. Like on one of the songs, I, I took a spiral notebook that we had sitting in the studio and my driver's license and played the spiral part on the notebook to sound kind of like a weiro. And we had a, a wrench that you use for attaching trailer hitches to the back of vans. It's a, it's a really large wrench. It's probably like two feet long, something like that. And this wrench we suspended from a rubber band from a mic stand and then played that kind of like you would a, a triangle and hit it with a screwdriver to get a kind of metallic sound. So there's a whole bunch of different kinds of sounds that we were experimenting with. And it's all just different layers of percussion. There are no offensive lyrics or anything like that. So if you want to go check it out, it's on Spotify and iTunes and Amazon. And Oslin Brothers presents Bucket Drummin' Volume 1. And that's Drummin'. No G at the end of that. But there is an apostrophe if you, if you want to get detailed about that kind of thing. So what else do we have to talk about? That's a good question. The snow's melting. Listener email questions, we've got a few of those to get to today. We had a couple people write in, and that's always great when people do that. And, you know, some sometimes people have questions, sometimes people just have words of encouragement, and that's always appreciated. It's nice to know that people are out there listening, so thank you for tuning in today. I um, have not progressed any further in the Harry Potter book this week. So I'm still at the same place. I'm I'm still <laughs> still on book four, and I'm still in the middle of the Triwizard Tournament. So there's that update for you. In the last week, I, I was able to attend a few different performances. A week ago today, I was uh, attending a performance at Orchestra Hall with the Carnival of the Animals. And also, it started off with the William Tell Overture as well, which is... Really cool to hear a live orchestra playing the the Lone Ranger theme song. So they they started off the entire concert with that, which I thought was a great way to kick off any concert, if you ask me. Uh, so that one, it also makes me think too. I've got a a sort of pullback combination, and that's really what I wanted to tell you about. Is um, I have the the William Tell Overture pullback challenge that I like to do with students as people are working on their double pullbacks or I don't know people have different ways of calling these uh, where you make four sounds your brush brush land land and if you were leading with your right foot it'd be right left right left um, when you're doing the four sounds and then there's just a step step kind of in between so you do three of the pullbacks, and then step, step, and then, you know, continue on. And then, so that's, that's kind of the pullback challenge. And I've had times where we've worked on pullbacks and then that on, on a particular day, I might say something like, okay, if each of you can just execute that, then I know you've got it. We can move on. And then we don't have to talk about pullbacks anymore today. And that's a good little benchmark. 
I think. If you can execute that and hit all of those sounds, and obviously also doing it on your left side, and then trying doing it moving forward um, by doing, I don't know if you want to call them push fronts, where you say brush, brush, land, land, where you're, um, I guess, fa fa lap, lap, <laughs> if you want to call it that. So there are um, variations on that pullback, but the, the basic idea is to take the William Tell Overture slash Lone Ranger theme song and apply that to the pullback challenge. There you go. There's, there's that for you this week. Attempt the pullback challenge and try to get every sound in there. How do we present tap in new ways that honor the tradition and masters who came before us and capture and expand our audience to non-tap dancers? Something, something to think about. How do we make what we're doing accessible to a broader audience? How do we bring tap dancing out to people that aren't already interested in tap dancing? I don't have the answer for you right now. This is just something to ponder that I, I had on my list here of things to mention to you. And I also have this list, which I think bears repeating. Um, a lot of these people have, I, I've posted videos or not posted, but created a playlist of videos that is on our YouTube page for have tap shoes will travel. And if you are sitting there right now thinking, Oh, I'd like to look up a tap dancer to go down some sort of a rabbit hole and watch some videos. Here are a few that could get you started. Bilbo Jangles Robinson, Buster Brown, Jimmy Slide, Henry Letang, Jenny Lagan, Ernest Brownie Brown, Gregory Hines, the Nicholas Brothers, John Bubbles, Eleanor Powell, Little Buck, Honey Coles and Charlie Atkins. Basically, the, the group was called Coles and Atkins. Look up the Copacetics. Look up the Four Step Brothers and the Barry Brothers. And then whenever you start naming off lists like this, people are always going to throw in a Baby Lawrence in there as well. But, you know, there, there are tons of people that you can be looking up right now that are on YouTube already. And it doesn't take much to just go type in one of those names and then you will notice all these other videos that pop up and it'll take you down a rabbit hole that could last hours. So I hope you take a moment and go check out some tap footage at some point this week and just look at what some of these old school people were doing as well. And that's the pioneers of what we're doing now. So go back and look at that and, and check it out. We'd like to thank the dancing fair, Matt, um, the shoe guy over there. And also Ryan Grams with up top films for allowing us to use all this wonderful recording equipment. And then also Andy, my brother, I have to give him some credit as well because um, he wrote the theme music for this show. And then also he's got the, he was on the one with me that you heard today as well. So there you go. Oh, another thing. If you take the song September by Earth, Wind and Fire, this is a little uh, thing that I've been doing lately where you just take that song and just do paradiddles to it. Or as I like to call them, dig, brush, toe, heel. Just do that the whole time. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, right? But the whole time, the the song comes in, right when he starts singing, do you remember? Just dig with show here, dig with show here. Just da 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 da
what I found is as you get into the repetition and you, you get into the flow of it, you start to figure out ways to breathe and consciously thinking of ways that you can take in more of a breath as you're doing them. And when you're doing it, try to relax your legs. At first, it's you're going to be just fine. And then you're going to feel your legs start to tighten up a little bit. And that is the area where you're going to want to start to breathe because you don't want to cut off the oxygen flow to your body. So once you know that that is the only step you are doing this entire time, you will find ways to relax into it and find ways to just relax your legs as you do it. Because at first, you're going to feel this need to really tense up, but try to let go of that. And you'll find that in other movements that you do, if you can find ways to relax it, you will find that you will have to put forth less effort and you'll get better results out of it. And you will be able to increase your speed as well. You know, when you relax, you're able to move faster because you're not tensing your muscles up. And this is a just a sort of exercise that I've been doing lately and having students do as well. So just putting on Earth, Wind, and Fire, September. We all know that song. And just do dig, brush, toe, heel the whole time. And as you're relaxing, just keep breathing. And you'll find that then after that song runs out, you're going to feel pretty warmed up too, which is also another plus. And you will, you'll, have, you'll have loosened up your, your body. So now as you move forward and do additional things, you will be nicely warmed up. I already said that, whatever, it's getting redundant. Another question that I had was, what is in your tap toolkit? Some of you might be out there thinking, I don't even have a tap toolkit. What are you talking about? Well, the thought that I was having this week is as we're getting into, I've noticed like a lot of people are in competition season. That's that's in full swing at this point. And you want to bring some things with you to make sure that if you had a, a sort of shoe emergency, you'll be able to be equipped and prepared for those types of things. Some things that I would consider putting into a tap toolkit would include some screws. You never know when you're going to have a screw just fall out of your shoe, and it's always good to have some extras with you. Some wooden pegs or some toothpicks. Why? Because sometimes when you're, you screw the screws back into your shoes... Hey, that sounds good. It kind of wears away at the leather that the screw is screwing into. And that leather kind of over time will will wear away. And when it gets to a certain point, it, you wear it away so much that the screw no longer will hold in, in the hole. So what you need to do is take, you can either take the tap completely off, which is probably the, the best way to do it. Remove the other screws and then remove the tap and then take a toothpick and break it off inside of the hole and just try to get it so that it's even with even, you know, just fill the hole that's in the tap shoe with the wooden part from the, uh, from the toothpick and then put the tap back and then, you know, screw the screws back in. Hopefully the other screws that you pulled out don't need to have toothpicks put in them, but you know, kind of gauge that out as, as you're taking a look at it. When you um, put the tap back on, then having that wood inside the hole gives the screw something to grab onto. And another thing that you can do is if you have if you have the ability to wait overnight, then you can 
when you have the tap off and you, you take the, you have your um, toothpick, dip that in a little bit of glue and then put that inside the hole and then let it sit. Like wood glue works. I think there are, I'm, I'm not sure the best type of glue, but see what you got around that, that would work for that kind of thing. But just something to kind of hold the wood of the toothpick inside of the hole and then let that sit overnight before putting the tap back on. And that kind of give that'll make it hold even better. But if you're in a pinch and you just need something to fill it, then you know you're at the competition and you're going to be going on soon. You can always just stuff the toothpick in there, put the tap back over it, and then screw into it, and it should hold really nicely. If you were somewhere and you don't have toothpicks, another thing that I've done in the past is I, I'll go for a little search. If you can find yourself a piece of wood somewhere, a, a piece of plywood or a piece of a two by four or something like that and just chip a little bit off. It doesn't take a lot of wood to fill in this tiny screw hole on your tap shoe. So if you can hunt it down somewhere backstage, there's usually, you'll usually find wood somewhere backstage. If you, if you find a door stopper, that's got, you can chip a little bit of wood off of that. <laughs> it doesn't take much, but you know, don't, don't do anything that you're going to actually ruin something. But if if you can find some plywood or something, you can break just a little bit off and it'll give you a, a a small bit that you can stuff into that hole on your shoe and then you screw into that. Okay. So we've got that part of it covered for your, for your tool kit. Uh, what else would you want in there? Obviously you would need a screwdriver then if, if nothing else, you need to have a, a Phillips screwdriver with you as a tap dancer, because it's also a thing that a lot of times people think that tap dancers are just going to show up and gouge up their floor and ruin their wooden floors and this does sometimes happen. And why does it happen? It's because people don't properly maintain their shoes. It's not usually because of the taps themselves. It's more often than not because of the screws that are sticking out of the taps and sticking out beyond the surface of the tap and then gouging the floor up with the screw head. Another thing that sometimes happens if people... I always try to tell people not to walk around on concrete with their tap shoes. Don't walk on the street. Don't walk on the concrete. Try to try to avoid that kind of surface. Try to only walk on wood or marley or whatever it ends up being, but try not to walk on the more abrasive surfaces. And the reason for that is it'll scrape up the bottoms of your taps, which makes them more likely to scrape up a wooden floor later. Because it's basically like metal sandpaper that's on the bottom of your shoes and then you go step on a nice hardwood floor and of course that's going to start scraping it up and that's going to ruin the floor but tap dancers who have taps that have only been worn on wooden floors and you know as professionals you want to always always make sure that you check the screws before you go on stage before every performance and before every class really because you don't want to go into somebody's dance studio and screw up their floors either ah you see what I did there? That wasn't even intended, but you don't want to screw up floors with your screws. So there you go. Otherwise you'd be screwed. But um, what else do we have? Ah, the buff cloth, you know, something to kind of buff your shoes up. That could be something that there are different kinds of shoe, like leather kind of care buff cloths. If you find something that matches the color of your shoe, if you have a little bit of shoe polish that matches your shoes or shoe dye so that if you get scuffs on your shoes, you can kind of get rid of those before you go on stage. That's always handy. 
new taps. You know, say that you you crack a tap. Sometimes this happens. It once you wear them thin enough, sometimes you will find that you'll be tap dancing and then your tap just cracks in half or three. I've had them crack in threes before as well. And I have a kind of a collection of those, but when when those types of things happen, you need to have a spare tap ready to go. So I would always recommend having two toe taps and two heel taps with you. Just have a full set in your kit. If nothing else, have one of each. But if you replace one foot of taps, you're going to probably want to replace both of them at the same time just so that you don't have such a huge difference in sound and tonal quality. That is something that you may consider not doing. So if you wanted to have two different sounds, that's that's up to you. I mean, you're as a percussionist, you might want to explore using different types of taps on your shoes and having taps that aren't matching. That can also be a thing. But for the most part, I typically have a preference for most of my shoes. I just want the front two taps to sound equal and then the back two to also sound equal. Sometimes people like them more loose. Sometimes people like to really tighten them down. I just like them so they don't fall off of my feet or off of my shoe for that matter. Another thing that I'm realizing too is to bring a spare USB drive. This is something that one of my soloist students is doing. A lot of competitions are requiring this now. So why not just keep it in your tap kit? Have a little USB drive that has all of your music that you're going to be performing to in on that drive. You may be playing it from another source. You might have already emailed it to the sound person. You may have it on your phone. But it's I think it's good form just to have a backup if you need it. Even if you have that USB drive saved on, you know, you've got your music right there. It's in your tap kit. Then say something happens to your phone or you can't find your charging cable. And now you can't play the music from your phone because it's dead. Now you have something and you don't have to worry about it. So there you go. You can put a little USB drive in your kit. What else? What else do you put in your tap kits? I'm I'm interested to hear about this. What types of items would you find useful to have if you have some sort of tap shoe emergency? What are some of your tap shoe emergencies that you've had? Send me an email, rick at havetapshoeswilltravel.com. I'd love to hear from you about that. I also have an email that somebody sent based on what we talked about last week, we had a discussion. We were talking about tap floors a little bit. We received an email from Steve in Virginia. Steve K. He said, Hi, Rick. Like Alex from the previous episode, I danced for seven years as a kid, two of them at Larkin, and got out my tap shoes again a few years ago after almost 20 year break. I had been wanting to learn perform the Moses Supposes number from Singing in the Rain and the opportunity to do it at our church variety show. Unfortunately, I could not use tap shoes because of the venue. I hope to get a chance to perform it with tap shoes at some point. I also got to do some tap in a local theater production. These experiences, as well as several inspirations, including Buckets and Tap Shoes and Ricky Milan, who was a Gino for me growing up, Reawakened my love for tap, and I have gotten back into it. We are building an addition to our house, and part of it will be a home dance studio, multi-purpose room. I want to put a permanent floor down that will work as a tap floor, but will also work for general purposes, 
and could be refinished into a nice floor where we will where we sell the house um how what did he say into a nice floor where we to sell the house hey this is just how it's written since not everyone wants to buy a house with a floor with all kinds of tap scuffles all over it do you have any suggestions for this i was thinking of putting foam down on top of the subfloor for cushion which i can actually get pretty cheap right now and then put hardwood on top of that maybe an oak or a maple is there such thing as a hardwood that would stand up to heavy tapping that could be refinished to look nice or perhaps there's a veneer i could put on top that would have a nice sound and feel that i could take up at some point in the future i'm really excited about the possibilities of this little studio and I'm looking for some ideas of how I might be able to best go about it. Thanks so much for the podcast. I'm loving it. Steve in Virginia. And I'd like to once again say thank you, Steve, for sending an email in to us. And so your question is basically asking about needing to build a floor, wanting to build a floor in your house as a sort of semi-permanent floor that if you were to move later on, then you would be able to either remove that or you know have it be something that other people might want in their house wow okay so i have a few thoughts about this do with them what you will um these some suggestions that i might think about would be why not make it a sort of floor that you could remove because first you started this email talking about you wanted to perform it at a church event and that you weren't able to do that because of the restriction of whatever floor surface that they had there. So in this case, you would have a floor to be able to do a gig like that. You know, you might not need to bring the full floor, maybe build it in sections so that you could transport it as we were kind of talking about last week. That is something that you could put in your house and then, be able to get rid of it so you could set it in an area where you might have carpet under it and it would still work something to think about i know on here it says that you wanted a permanent floor so there's that you want it to work for general purposes i don't know something tells me that if you had something more portable that's designed for the tap dancing and that you could then use for other stuff it might serve what you're it might kill two birds with one stone as they say right any suggestions? What else do we have on here? The subfloor cushion and okay. Hardwood on top. I know maple is a really nice floor for tap dancing. I know oak has also been used for tap floors. That that tends to be a, a nice wood. I would say you want to do more hardwoods when you're making floors. And like I said before, staying away from the softer woods like pine and, and spruce and those types of cheaper woods that you find then what I also think about too is when I was working in the drum department, I used to work at guitar center back in the day. And that was when I was working there, I learned about how drums are constructed, nice drum sets. And some of the nicest drum sets are either made out of maple or they're made out of birch. And that made me think about that in reference to floors as well, because what the reasoning behind it when people build drums is that they want a resonance. They want a wood that's when you hit the drum head that the wood shell of the drum also resonates to create a, a nice sound. And that is also something that as you 
consider these types of options when building a floor. If you have the luxury of building a floor for yourself, then you have to consider some of these things. You don't want to just build a floor with cheap materials just because you want to build, you know, you wouldn't want to put that in your house either. So the thought here is maple and birch tend to sound really good. That's why we built ours out of birch. The the other thought too is as far as drums go, people tend to say maple has a warmer sound when you record it and birch has a sharper attack sound to it. So when you think of drums, a snare drum that's made out of birch might have more of a clean sort of cutting through sound and a maple one might have a little more body to it where it has a little more warmth to that sound, maybe a little bit more of the low end or something in there too that I think those are considerations to make when thinking about floors. Then another thing too that when when I went to go select wood for the one that we built was looking at the condition of what that wood is in. You want to make sure that it's nice and flat and that it's not all gouged up already. And when you pick out a piece of wood, knock on it, hit it, hit it with your knuckles a little bit, and hear how it rings out. The person at the lumber yard will look at you like you're crazy, but you know what you're doing. You See which piece you think sounds the best. Because what you're doing is building yourself a little bit of a drum to tap dance on. And as you're building a drum, you want to make sure that that has a nice sound to it. And that's that's what we did. I, I just would take pieces of wood and knock on them. And we bought the ones that sounded the best. Um, what else is on here? I'm not sure exactly for the subfloor and the cushion. I've never done a, a permanent install or on a sprung floor. One thing that I would look at would be Harlequin floors. They've been building floors for Broadway shows and for theaters and for dance studios. And they have portable floors. And that was one area that I looked at, one site that I looked at before that I remember to learn more about how floors are built and to learn what professional sprung floors look like and they've got a lot of charts and graphs and pictures on their website that show you about the different types of floors that they build and I thought that was really interesting because they do show these like the structure of how to build a sprung floor for ballet versus what um, a portable dance floor is built out of some and they also have different types of marley and I remember that at one point they sent me a sample kit where you can kind of see the different options of floor surfaces from them and I also know that there are other companies that build tap floors and those might be some other places to start searching is see how people build floors and what is going to be right for what your application is but because of this the way you started that email saying that you were being prohibited from doing a gig because of a lack of floor this is something that tap dancers run into all the time And that's just something that an obstacle that we need to solve. So if you have your own floor, when somebody says, okay, so what do you need for your, for your show? And you can say, oh, we're all good to go. I've got a floor already for that. So don't even worry about it. Or when they give you a call saying something like, oh, I talked with the stage manager and they're not going to let us tap on their floor. Well, then now you've already got the solution before the problem even happens. So there's something to that. If you were just going to permanently put it in your house, though, like I said earlier, if you maintain your tap shoes and you were to put a nice hardwood maple floor, someone just drove by 
seemingly in a motorcycle, it sounds like. If you if you were to put a nice maple hardwood floor in, that is a I've I've known other studios to do this. I've seen this happen before where people would have these nice hardwood floors and then, you know, you dance on it, you tap on it, and it doesn't get completely gouged up, but it gets some use. Yes, those are totally things that you could then go back and sand and then refinish it and they look brand new. It looks beautiful. So if you buy a nice wood, that wood is going to also hold up better. So I know that it is an, it's an investment and you, you think, oh, I don't want to ruin this floor that I'm dancing on. But you're buying this floor to dance on it. And yes, it can totally be refinished later and it'll look awesome later on. It might even be a thing that makes the floor cooler in that area of your house that that this was a tap dance floor before. And if you had like little nicks on there, it's not going to necessarily mean that that whole area is, you know, not going to it might make it better for all, you know. So I would say you're you're building this new addition. You want to make something that you want to live in. So why not build your floor and have it serve your purposes while you live there and don't worry as much about these other people that might potentially move into your house at some other date that you don't even know, you know, at, at this point. But, um, if you, if you were to build a nice maple floor in there, I would think you would be able to refinish that at some point And it would, you, I don't even think you would know that people were tap dancing on it before. So there's that. Do any of you have experience with that kind of thing? Send send us a message about that. If you if you know of floors that you've had in your studio space and have gouged them up and then had them refinished, how did that turn out? Did you ever have marks on the floor that were so deep that it made it so that you couldn't get them out? Like where it just stayed there then after that? I I haven't noticed that to be the case. I know that any dance studio that I've taught at that sometimes during the summer they will refinish the floors. I come back in and it it's like you can't even tell that anyone had tapped on it before because it looks so beautiful. And when you have, you know, limited amounts of people in your home dancing on the floor too, it's it's not going to be taking the same abuse as if you have a lot of students on that floor day in and day out. So there's there's that consideration to make too. This is this is being built for you to tap on, and that's good. I think I highly encourage it. I hope that answers your question. It answers some questions. I hope. Um, Moses supposes that's great. Do you still know the, the dance? Let me see. Is this something that you just recently did? You got out your shoes a few years ago after an almost 20 year break. And then you had been wanting to learn to perform Moses supposes. Okay, cool. So do you still know the routine? Do you have a, a partner that you're doing this with too? How much space do you need to properly perform your routine? If you were to present this on a stage, how much how much um, width of stage would you want? And then how much depth of the stage would you want? What would be that size? What size floor are you considering building in your basement or in your new addition? I guess you didn't say it was in your basement. I'm also interested about that. Like how big of a floor are you looking to build? Great. Thank you very much for sending us an email about that. And we'd also like to thank Tyler Hayden, who also sent us an email. He was giving us an encouraging email and just want to give him a shout out and say thank you for listening. Also giving Gary V a shout out. His videos keep popping up in my feed and 
I love it because it always gives me a little dose of a little boost, you know, kind of gets you going when you're, you hear someone that's giving you some encouraging words. And if you ever need that, check out Gary Vaynerchuk's Twitter feed and his uh, Instagram or read some of the books or do something like that. I just want to give a shout out to Gary V. Thanks for the, for the inspiration and the push. You know, this was, um, this podcast was a new year's resolution and it was all about getting through and pushing through the resistance and making good on that word to myself that I wanted to make this happen every week and continuously put them out. This is episode number 11 and I shall continue putting them out. And I'm glad to know that people are out there listening. And I would like to know if there are things that you'd like to hear discussed on here. Hit me up. Let me know. What would you like to hear about? I know some of you like to hear about different stories related to tap. Some of you like to hear different guests on here talking about stuff. Some of you like to hear technical things about here's what I need. Here's what I'm building. I'm building a floor and what what do you know about floors so i'm happy to do happy to answer any of those kinds of questions and would love to hear from all different people if you have stuff to say let's see what else did what, oh so on thursday i was i was able to attend the dress rehearsal for the minnesota opera's new premiere and it is a show called the fix and it's a world premiere that's happening at the Ordway right now in St. Paul, Minnesota. So those of you who are in Minnesota, I want you to go check out the Minnesota Opera's website. And this this new show, it's it's about the the scandal that happened. It's a it's an opera that's based on baseball. It's about the Black Sox scandal that happened in Chicago in what was it like the nineteen twenties? And it is it was in English as well. So that's that was my first opera experience and I was invited to the dress rehearsal and it was, I actually got to sit with Matt, the shoe guy as well as we watched this because the dancing fair was doing all of the shoes for the show. They, they supplied all of the actors and the dancers with their footwear and also did some customizations and put rubber on some of them and all of that fun stuff. And it was it was great it was um above the stage it also had the titles of what people were singing it had all the the lyrics were printed up above the stage so that even even though it was in english it was still sometimes when people are singing it's tricky to hear what they're saying completely and all of the dialogue in the show was sung instead of spoken which is kind of a twist right but that's that's how they do it with the opera style. So they then another interesting thing about that too is that they take days off in between their shows where they'll they have to give their voice a rest for a day or two in between each show. And I'm excited that I get to go see it on Tuesday. I get to see the actual performance now having seen the dress rehearsal. At the dress rehearsal they had the the light tech and the the sound tech and the projectionist and they had all of their computers out still out in the, the house seats and they were still dialing things in. And at the very opening of the show, the conductor had the orchestra working on a couple things and then he stopped them and talked to them and then he started them back up. And then 
once the show started, though, the whole thing flowed all the way through. And it was the first time that they had run through the entire show in its entirety. <clears throat> and that's also a, a cool moment when you've been working on a show and all the little segments finally come together and you're in the theater and now you're doing your run through for the first time where you get to see everything in order without stopping. It's always a really cool moment. And I was really thrilled to be able to see that happening for a world premiere where all of the music was brand new. All of the, the, I mean, obviously the story is based on a historic thing, but the presentation of this as an opera was brand new and nobody's ever seen it until yesterday was actually the, the grand opening. And so I was, I was thrilled to be able to, to go check that out. And I'm also really happy that it's going to be coming up on Tuesday. I'd like to talk with Alejandra Yanone, who's one of the dancers that's in the show. And we're going to be discussing a little bit about the making of the Minnesota Opera's production. And so I'm really looking forward to talking with her more about that coming up. And we also went to the Minnesota Arts Advocacy Day down at the state capitol this year for the second year in a row, which was a lot of fun. Every year, people get together. They all meet up at the History Center first, and then we all kind of get into different groups, and then we all go over to the capitol and talk to representatives and talk to senators and tell them why the arts are important to us and how they we you're, we're asking their support to make sure that funding for the arts continues to happen. And so this is, this is something that is unique to the state of Minnesota as far as having the arts written into the state's constitution. That is a thing that not every state has. So we've been very fortunate that our state gets a lot of funding for the arts because of that. And it is a portion of the, the sales taxes go toward the different arts programs that are happening in Minnesota. It was part of the, there's a legacy amendment that was, that was passed. I actually have it here and I, I wanted to read it because we always hear about this legacy amendment, but nobody really has, I'm not going to say nobody, but a lot of people haven't taken the time to actually hear what it says. And I thought that might be interesting for you, for you to hear about. So this is one thing that um, was in my packet from from this week's event and here it is it's article 6 appropriations and finances section 15 outdoor heritage clean water parks and trails and arts and cultural heritage sales tax deducted funds beginning July 1st 2009 until June 30th of 2034 the sales and use tax rate shall be increased by 3 eighths of 1% on sales and uses taxable under the general state sales and use tax law. Receipts from the increase plus penalties and interest and reduced by any refunds are dedicated for the benefit of Minnesotans to the following funds. 33% of the receipts shall be deposited in the Outdoor Heritage Fund and may be spent only to restore, protect, and enhance wetlands, prairies, forests, and habitat for fish, game, and wildlife. 33% of the receipts shall be deposited in the Clean Water Fund and may be spent only to protect, enhance, and restore water quality in lakes, rivers, and streams and protect groundwater from degradation 
and at least 5% of the clean water fund must be spent only to protect drinking water sources. 14.25% of the receipts shall be deposited in the Parks and Trails Fund and may be spent only to support parks and trails of regional or statewide significance. Ah, but then there's this and. This, this and warrants a drink of water right now, so here we go. I didn't want to get that weird sound happening. Here we go. And 19.75% shall be deposited in the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and may be spent only for arts, arts education, and arts access, and to preserve Minnesota's history and cultural heritage. An outdoor heritage fund, a parks and trails fund, a clean water fund, and a sustainable drinking water account, and an arts and cultural heritage fund are created in the state treasury. The money dedicated under this section shall be appropriated by law. The dedicated money under this section must supplement traditional sources of funding for those purposes and may not be used as a substitute. Land acquired by, we're almost done. Land acquired by fee with money deposited in the Outdoor Heritage Fund under the section must under this section must be open to the public taking of fish and game during the open season unless otherwise provided by law. If the base of the state's or sorry, if the base of the sales and use tax is changed, the sales and use tax rate in this section may be proportionately adjusted by law to within one thousandth of one percent in order to provide as close to the same amount of revenue as practical for each fund as existed before the change to the sales and use tax. And this was adopted November 4th, 2008. So that is part of what we have in our state to protect the arts and make sure that the arts have funding. And then that filters down in, in different ways. So what happens from that, from that legacy amendment which includes the the land, the water, the parks, and then also the arts and cultural part. So it's kind of four different sections. And then that is what we're talking about when we're talking about protecting the 47% of the arts legacy fund. Coming up, there's going to be uh, additional votes and there's going to be debates. There's going to be talk about maintaining and protecting. So we have the maintaining of the general funds for the arts. And then we also have protecting the 47% of the arts legacy fund. And these were some of the things that we were talking about at this, at this day and at arts advocacy day down at the state Capitol. And then those, those funds then kind of filter into the systems where like the, the regional arts councils and to the state arts boards. And then from there, those are the organizations that make the grants. And then when we go and apply for funding for creating artwork, then that is how it filters down to the artists at that point. So there's a, there's a lot going on there, but we have to go down sometimes and you know, it's once a year. So we go down and let them know, let the senators know, let the representatives know that this is important to us and that we are creating art in our communities. We are creating art in the areas that they represent. And it's good for them to know that there are people who they represent that are using these funds to create work. For me, it was, uh, we have, we, we tried to get in with representative Aisha Gomez and then also representative Hodan Hassan, but we were unable to meet with them because they had to go down to the floor. 
and they had they had work to do that day that was you know they had to get out there and and talk and so they they weren't able to meet with us on arts advocacy day but senator jeff hayden did meet with us and we were um, this is the second year in a row that we were able to meet with him and let him know that the arts are important to us and that we're we're glad for his support and keeping that in the front of his mind as well and the minnesota citizens for the arts are the people that are part of organizing this event and if you wanted to learn more about what they do that would be at artsmn.org there's a there's a little plug there or at mn citizen if you want if you wanted to find them on instagram or that kind of thing also springboard for the arts is a great place to look into some stuff too i, I have a i have a business card here we we went and checked out their new springbox location over on university avenue and they've got a brand new building that they have um that springboard for the arts is transitioning into and springboard for the arts is a really cool resource for minnesota artists and it's an umbrella organization too. They they are fiscal sponsor, which and if, for those of you that don't know what that means, that means sometimes if you were trying to write in for a grant, you have to be a nonprofit organization. Otherwise, they will not give you a grant. It'll automatically make you ineligible to even write in for that grant. And a lot of them don't write or they don't allow you to have grants for individuals. I mean. Obviously, there are a lot of different grants that are for individual artists, but for the ones that are not, you need to be either a nonprofit organization or if you were to have a fiscal sponsor, it kind of umbrellas your organization and gives you some of the benefits of being or you get some of the benefits that a nonprofit organization also receives without having to completely organize a nonprofit organization, which is a lot of work. You have to create a board. You have to have all these different things in place. And there's a lot of, there's a lot there. So a place like springboard for the arts helps you because they, as you write in for your grant, they are the people that are actually receiving the grant money from, from the arts board or from the, uh, the regional arts council, they will give the money to springboard and then they distribute that to you. And Springboard gets a, a fee for doing that. They get a 7% fee for doing that, but that also makes it so that you can get a grant. And I would highly recommend checking them out as well. Springboardforthearts.org. And that's just all spelled out. All right. All spelled out, not spelt. Spelt is an ingredient that people that are gluten-free make bread out of. Another nice thing that was happening down at the Capitol is that they had this this cafe down there that we were all they had like Minnesota based items and well I guess we had some Japanese street food so I guess that it wasn't pure Minnesota so that that goes out the window. It was nice that they have a little cafe down there though. It was walking around all day going back and forth between the Capitol building and the transportation building and you, you work up a hunger, you know, talking with people. We were glad to be a part of it again this year. Arts Advocacy Day was a lot of fun. Next year, it'll be happening again in March. Minnesota artists, I would highly recommend getting involved and at least showing up on that day. It's it's a lot of fun, and you get to meet people that are in your community that are also making art. It's a great networking thing. It's a great way to learn more about how arts are funded in Minnesota, and you get to meet senators and representatives and people who are representing you as an artist and 
going to bat for you sometimes too that you know as you're trying to create work you need to have people that are also out there pushing to make sure that that work is funded and that you can have access to those funds to be able to make your work all right well that that's that seems like about good right we've we've covered a lot of things today and i look forward to talking with you very soon i i look forward to hearing from some of you if you if you send me an email, rick at havetapshoeswilltravel.com, I'd love to hear from you if you have ideas or if you have questions that are either tap-related or performance-related or, I don't know, just send me send me whatever you're curious about. If you're thinking about something during this show and you have a question about it, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And if you would like to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, if you just type in Have Tap Shoes Will Travel, it will pop up. It is available on all the places where you like to download podcasts. If it is not available on the place where you like to get your podcasts, let us know, and I'll make sure it gets put up on there as well. And let's see. I'm going to take one more drink here. It's St. Patrick's Day. What am I doing? I'm sitting here drinking a pint of water. That's okay. you got to have business before pleasure, right? Um, on the way, on, on at the beginning of this podcast we we had a song that was on the bucket drumming cd that andy and i made and that one was called new jack hennepin and it also had that kind of new jack swing feel which is that sort of 90s swing that a lot of hip-hop artists had back then had that um sort of like um the the song poison had that beat to that Bobby Brown had that kind of beat. Um, a lot of artists had that kind of feel, that new jack swing. If you look it up on Wikipedia, I bet there's even a thing that says new jack swing. And that is, I wish that feel would come back. I've been listening to some newer hip hop artists and I can't help but think like, what happened to the new jack swing? You know, we, we need to bring the party back to hip hop at some point. And if you're a hip hop artist, you know, we gotta we gotta bring the party vibe back a little bit. I kind of feel like the party vibe got lost, and that new Jack Swing's got the feel, you know. Okay, so as we as we get out on this one, I'm gonna play the last track from the CD, and it's a song called Accelerate, and it's the fastest track on the on it. It's it's 180 beats per minute, whereas the one earlier, let's see, the one earlier on at the beginning of the show was 115. So this one's significantly faster, and we recorded all of this at tempo, and it was um, it was a lot of fun. It's it's spelt this way because we used to drum outside of the Excel Center in St. Paul, and so we kind of wrote a little tribute in there to to that. So here we go. This is our outro music for this week. We're going to be playing Accelerate from the Bucket Drumming CD. And I hope everybody has a great week, and I hope that you are working on some new sounds, working on those, all those, getting all those sounds in, cleaning up those pullbacks, really making it sound good, tightening it up, you know, doing the tighten up with not just your dance moves, but also the screws in your shoes. We will see, or <laughs> we're not going to see you at all. We're, we will talk to you next week. We'd like to thank you once again. Have a great week. And bye-bye.
Have Tap Shoes, Will Travel. The podcast hosted by Rick Osland is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and Anchor.fm. Connect with us today on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.